going on, North Dallas? Welcome to Talking Throws Podcast Texas Style. This is episode 35 of season three. Uh, we're out with a new season, so hope you like it. we got a great show today. Uh, remind everybody, I'm Coach Jason. And I'm Coach Janelle. And we're Throws Coaches with the Thorn Factory at thornfactory.com. Remind everybody that if you're looking for cool uh, apparel, you can go shop at a shopping page. Also, we're doing in-person FaceTime lessons or even video assessments. Uh, go to the thor- to the website thornfactory.com and you can get the details on that. If you have questions about training or joining the club, you can email me at the Thorn Factory at mail at mail.com. The Thorn Factory at mail.com. A big shout out to our sponsors this year for season three. Um, we got some new ones and some old ones. So, uh, Texas Track and Field Coach Association, I uh, go to ttfca.org for the latest news in Texas Track and Field. Uh, they got the Meet of Champions coming up. Uh, Stuart is posting information about big throws each week, so go check out uh, his website and get all the information and news going on in the track and field in the state of Texas. Um, Favorite implement company, 4throws.com. Go to 4throws.com, use the code TALKINGTHROWS20 to get 20% off. Uh, Be on the lookout for 4throws.com interviews. Uh, Janelle Janelle and I have been going around to all the area high school meets getting interviews. Um, if there's somebody out there that we might have missed that y'all feel it needs to get some recognition, uh, send us their information or you know through social media, and we'll try to get them on. Um, especially if they're a young kid hitting some big marks, looking to get recruited, or kind of you know just get a pat on the back. Um, we'll be willing to get them on either in person or through Zoom. So reach us um, through the through our website. Uh, then portacircle.com, uh, making throwing more accessible. Go to portacircle.com. Um, you can use the code TALKINGTHROWS10, TALKINGTHROWS10 to get 10% off. Finally, our favorite athlete development, Ready Up Athlete Development, ran by Mr. Zach Phillips. His, uh, you can reach him at 512-507-8347 or at readyupad.com. Ready Up AD. If you're in the Austin area and you're looking to do team consulting, semi-private, private strength and conditioning, um, in, in that area, go check him out. Um, also, you can follow him on social media at ReadyUp on uh, Instagram and also Facebook. Today's guest, um, she lives in North Dallas and hosts a podcast and a YouTube. I think it's called uh, Showing Up with Pam. Um, they're also can be found on the Buzzsprout website. Um, also, she was a t- 2004 inducted into the Stanford University Hall of Fame. Um, in 1992, she was part of the Olympic team that went to Barcelona, Spain. Um, she's a six-time All-American and 1987 NCAA indoor champion in the shot put. Uh, she went to high school in New Jersey and was a state champion in the shot put from 1980 to 82, so her sophomore through her senior year. Uh, she has a PB, lifetime PB of a shot put of 59.5, discus 200 feet 5 inches, and east, also in the hammer 173.9, and even in the weight 61 feet. Please welcome to episode 35, Miss Pam Dukes. All right, so tell us a little bit about um, how you first started or how you got into throwing. When did you start throwing? I didn't pick up throwing until sophomore year in high school. So what happened was I had started early with softball and then basketball and gymnastics and cheerleading and all these different sports. And softball was my first love. I loved, I was doing pitching, you know, playing the outfield. That was it. And, you know, when I got to high school, 
the track coach came up to me and said, you know, you should go out for the track team. You could throw. And I just kind of looked at him like, you know, oh yeah, sure. Every mom wants their daughter to grow up and be a woman shot putter. So I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I kind of rolled my eyes like whatever, but um, you know, they, they stayed on me. And so, you know, at one point it was like, listen, if you, you just try it, you know, just see what, let's just see, you know, what do you got to lose? And so I was like, okay, if, you know, you're going to leave me alone. If I try it, I'm in. And so I tried it and, you know, I'd seen people do it. So it wasn't, you know, I kind of did, did the bouncing a little bit and kind of <laughs> threw a few times when they measured it. And, you know, the coach was smiling and I was like, what's so funny. He's like, that's pretty good for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And so he said, you really should consider track because I know you want to go to college and the, you know, there's more track scholarships than softball and you should think about it. So I went home and I talked to my parents and they have put us through me and my brother, every sport. And so, you know, they were like, well, if you want to do it, sure. And so, you know, it was a hard decision. Cause like I said, since third grade softball and, you know, leave it, you know, it was, it was a little bit difficult, but you know, okay, let's try this throwing thing. And so I ended up throwing the shot discus and the javelin don't ask me about the javelin because it's really not worth talking about. Okay. Um, oh, so how far did you throw the javelin? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think it made the record books. That's how bad it was. So. One, two. Okay. So I had three years in high school. What was that coach's name that introduced you to, uh, to throwing? There was uh, Mrs. Morgan and Mr. Denison. Mr. Morgan. Mrs. From Freehold Township High School. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So your sophomore year was in the same time you were introduced to throwing, you mm -hmm. won state in a shot put. On my last throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so okay. So how how long a period was that from the first time you threw to that state meet? And you know, what kind of coaching were you getting? <laughs> well, you know, you know, there were other throwers. So, you know, there was Lynn and Gail, and there was other people doing it. So they worked with me. And, you know, okay. we would go to track meets and we'd watch other people. And, you know, I would talk to other people and try to mimic them. And of course, my dad on the weekends was in there, like, maybe if you turn your hip this way. And I was like, okay, why not? You know. Um, so we just kind of, you know, we didn't have the internet and all these videos to watch. We just had other people to look at. So it was a lot of trial and error. But the funny thing is, and I remember this, was the number one thrower um, at the time in the state was um, Elaine Rose. And I remember Elaine Rose because okay. she was a little bit shorter than me, but she was thicker. She was bigger and she was intimidating. And, you know, at that point, I didn't know a lot about it. But in my mind, it made sense that, okay, well, she's bigger. She's going to win. Cause that's what I thought it took. You just had to have this size. And I remember, you know, my parents and the coach said, you know, you can throw, you can beat her. You could beat her. So they start planting that seed and talk what I call speaking greatness into you. And, you know, on the one hand, you're saying, no, you can't look at her. She's going to kill you. you know. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I always had this thought of when coaches say these things to me that, you know, these are professionals, they've been doing this for a while. So, on some level, they might be right. So, you know, they're not busy telling everybody they can do that. They're telling me. So there's a reason for that. So I started to get rid of the gremlins in your head that say, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And I just kind of started to kind of ride with them and say, okay, well, if you think so, let's give this a shot, you know? And on my last throw, I remember I threw 41, 10 and three quarters. And I don't remember what her throw was the next place, but yeah, I was as shocked as you are, folks. <laughs> <I was just, laughs> 
so so no. just, so how does how does it work in New Jersey? Do y'all do like a little district meet and mm-hmm. then like have a little area meet and regional meet like we do here in Texas? Yep, and county, absolutely. We just and go through a, all those sides, mm-hmm. and then you qualify. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did you? Now, I'm curious, but during this time period, did you get any experience in indoor? Because I know indoor up in that area is kind of big, in which we don't have that here in Texas. I did my junior year, not in the sophomore year. Yeah, so we did a little bit, and um, you know, my next year I threw the forty-one ten, and then my next year I threw forty-six eight, and I had the second best throw in the country. Right behind Natalie Kawhi Vahia. I believe she was out in California. And I, I, I'd never forget that name because I thought, wow, she threw, I think she threw 49 or 50. I thought, she's really good. So, <laughs> but because I, you know, I had the second best throw and, you know, you're on these lists now where the folks who track marks, uh, I started getting attention and, you know, people started recruiting me. And I remember, I'll never forget, I got the first recruitment letter, potential scholarship from University of Hawaii. And I said, wow. that's it. We're going to Hawaii. And then, and then maybe the next, the next day we hear from Oregon. I'm like, mom, Oregon's calling. Maybe we should go to Oregon, oh, you wow. know? And so it was really cool that, you know, every so often I kept getting these letters and, you know, having grown up in New Jersey, I wasn't sure where I was going to college, but this opened up a whole new lens for me that, wow, I could, I could maybe go to a whole different, a whole bunch of places. So, um, I think I only threw 45 feet in the shot somewhere around there um, my senior year, but because I had the second best throw in the shot, I qualified for junior nationals. So they invited me to UCLA to throw at the junior nationals. And at the time, the track coach wasn't able to accompany me. They had a previous commitment. So I took my mom. The mom and I went to UCLA and we're in the dorm. And I'll never forget, we checked in (laughs) and I looked and there's a little lobby and there was this guy sitting there and he had on kind of beat up cowboy boots and a straw hat and he had his head down. And, you know, I kind of looked at him and my mom says, you know, you go check in, I'll wait here. So I kind of glanced at him like, you know, what kind of watch this guy? I don't know what's going on. And that was Brooks Johnson, the head track coach at Stanford. So I go and check in and I come back and they're all chummy chummy. So I'm thinking, okay, what is going on here? You know? I mean, they hit it off so well. And my mom's like, come here, I want you to meet somebody. And so she said, you know, this is Brooks Johnson from Stanford. And I'm kind of looking at him because at the time, honestly, I really didn't know about Stanford. I had no idea. And so, I, you know, I was nodding and he asked about my grades and I said I was a good student. And he was very interested. He was perked up and he was paying attention. And so he's like, you know, take my card. We're going to stay in touch, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And you may get a chance to come to Stanford. And I thought, okay, you know, but meanwhile, I'm getting all these letters. So, you know, I'm thinking yeah. get in line, you know, cause there's a lot of other people out there, you know? So, um, <laughs> I was gonna say what, I'm just kind of curious to develop that fast and to throw that far, kind of what, what was your technical model? Did you copy your after someone on the glide? Cause you said you looked at a lot of people or was it just something you just kind of picked up naturally? Cause I've seen what you did at Stanford on like YouTube with your glide. I'm just kind of wondering what it looked like when you were in high school in New Jersey. Um, that's an excellent question. I think it's, it's all of the above. I think, you know, I practiced <laughs> seriously. I mean, yeah. there wasn't one person that I said, I want to throw like them. It was, yeah. you know, and a lot of times I watch the men because given, you know, you know, some of my throws, I may have been throwing farther than the other women that I was competing against. So I need to look at someone who's throwing further than me and see what they're doing. And so a lot of it was just trying to practice and learn. And, 
you know, believe I could do it. And, you know, I remember we started weightlifting, which was hilarious um, because I didn't really lift weights at all in high school. I did some, but there's nothing to talk about really. Um, so I remember when I got to college and we went in the weight room and that's when I met um, Dave Woman actually started recruiting me my senior year. And he was a, the track coach there. So he was my official coach, my, my shot put coach anyway. And eventually they brought in John Powell and he was my discus coach. And I thought, you know, Wow. It's so bad, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know if I can really give you uh, some sort of name of I modeled my gliding after this person. And I think when, you know, Dave actually saw me, he kind of shook his head like, yeah, we got work to do. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so just backing up a little bit. So what were your mm -hmm. five choices? And did you take all your five recruiting trips? I had three. And I don't know three. if I had five. I swear there was only three back then. So I decided okay. LSU, LSU and University of Florida were big schools and tracks. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I need yeah. to go where they're, they're doing well. So I went, I'll never forget. I went to the University of Florida and they took me directly to the track. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, it's a track school. This, this makes sense. But at the time I wanted to be a lawyer, or at least I thought I did. And so, you know, I talked to the LSU folks and I told them that. So when they put, picked me up, they took me to the law school. And I was impressed by that. Like, okay, wow. they, they're interested in my mind. Okay, I'm more than just a jock, right? Um, but then <laughs> I remember, you know, I went out to Stanford and I just thought, this is a school? You know, I just kept thinking, this is a country club. This is amazing. And it is just so, <laughs> so beautiful in all of the facilities. And, you know, the more and more I heard about it, I, you know, then you start thinking, well, I'm not going to get in, so it really doesn't matter, so you know, I'll, you know, I'll just probably, I'll yeah. probably end up going to LSU. Maybe we'll see. And, um, I got in and I remember I told my mom and she said, you're going. And I said, okay. And that was it. Decision made. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Before we get too much into your college career, I want to back up in high school. Yes, once you picked up, once you picked up throwing, did you continue softball and gymnastics and all that stuff? Or did you drop all that? Just throw. I had to drop it. I did basketball, but I had to drop softball because they, they compete at the same time. They're both summer sports. So I had to say goodbye to that. And that, that was, that was tough. But then, you know, all of a sudden you pivot and you're doing better at another sport. So I thought, huh, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, did you think all those years of playing softball helped you with your throwing? Were there anything I, that you kind of took from your softball playing into throwing? <laughs> Well, I think I had a good arm, so that was clear. And I had, I had good trunk kind of like physical strength, even though I wasn't a weightlifter per se. And I remember I could hit the ball really far pretty easily. And my coach would say, you know, left field. I'd say, okay, and I'd hit it over the per their head in left field. And he'd say, okay, right field. And I'd hit it over their head in right field. So, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard for me really. And I remember, because after I do it the first time, they would say, okay, back up. And to me, I thought they're not backing up far enough. So I just kept hitting the ball. So I just really enjoyed softball and, and kind of practicing. Um, I started in our recreation league, you know how they have the, the summer recreation teams. So that was where I actually started my sports mm -hmm. career. And, you know, I had someone on Facebook oh, wow. say that I need to mention that if it wasn't for Freehold Township Recreation, I might not have fell into sports. And that is true. <laughs> That is very true. They got me going. There There's go. my plug. Mm -hmm. So you, you have this great career. You're three times state champion in shot put for New Jersey, and you decided to go out to California to Stanford. You haven't met Dave Woman yet. What was your first interaction with Dave, and what was that impression like? 
I like Dave. He was tall. I was like, look at you. You're a, what are you, a basketball player? Um, but, you know, Dave has a great sense of humor. And I'm told yes. that I have a great sense of humor. So we hit it off well. But I don't know if you were able to listen to my discussion with him. But, you know, when we had the team discussion and he said how I was high maintenance and a lot to deal with. And I was shocked to hear it because I don't remember it that way. Anyway, um, but I remember that I was lucky that I had done well without having to really work hard. So, uh, yeah. you know, he would joke and say, you know, OK, we're going to we're going to throw for a while. And I would want to know, well, how long, how many throws? Because it's almost like I had to psychologically get ready. Because I'm not, I wasn't the thrower who would throw for two hours and you have to pull him off the field. Yeah, no, that's not how I started. No, 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 no. And literally, I wasn't in shape. I was just kind of strong. So I had to, you know, start to get in shape and we started running. And I didn't like to run at all. I remember when we had to run a mile in high school, you know, I just was like, you know, I just hope I make it and live and get through it because it was just not my forte. Um, but, you know, when you get to college and you see like everyone there's an athlete athlete, yeah. you know, and so I had to change my mind and start working out seriously. And I'll never forget, Dave used to give me my weight workouts and he'd give me like maybe a month and he'd have the, you know, the month printed on a sheet of paper. And, you know, I started with the bar. I, what is the bar? 45 pounds. I started mm -hmm. with that. And then, you know, you're putting fives and tens on. And I remember the first time he wrote that I was doing 135 with the big plate. And I just looked at him like, man, you're crazy. Uh, uh, that's for us. I can't do that because again, I just didn't have that exposure or belief that I could get that strong. And he would just shake his head like, you can do it. We're going to get this. You can do it. And he never doubted that I could do whatever he wrote on the sheet of paper. It used to make me mad. Like, how does he, how does he know I can do that much? And I don't think so. I don't know. Can we negotiate this? So, um, yeah, he um he definitely, you know, that great coach, great motivator, really good at creating programs and bringing me along because I mean, it was it was a it was a lot. It was some heavy lifting to get me working hard, you know, running, running up hills, plyometrics, throwing heavier weights. Oh my god, seriously? Why would I throw <laughs> something heavier? Cuz mine only weighs this, you know. Yeah. So It's only 4K. <laughs> exactly. What do you mean? Well, I got to throw the ten pound? That's crazy. <laughs> how how was that? Because you have somebody like Dave, strong history of throwing at the highest levels in the world, and John Pat. They're totally different personalities too. John is special. Okay, yes. he. I'll never forget because we. I mean, we just had a whole bunch of throwers that trained together. It was like this big club, and it was so much fun. And you know, John would create these drills. I think he, we had the two minute drill where we had to do the discus spin, I think it was 20 times. And then you had to run around the rest of the track and you couldn't be last. And it's hard because you're spinning and you're, you know, you know, just like, you know, if you're a, a speed or an ice skater, you know, centrifugal force, you're getting dizzy and then you have to run. So you have to kind of get your balance and run because Lord knows you didn't want to be last because then you'd have to go run something crazy. So, um, that's great. He used to, one of my favorite lines he said, and I think he got this from a movie or somewhere, but he would say, no man is entirely useless. He can always serve as a bad example. And so you didn't want, you didn't want him making up stuff like that about you. So whatever it was, you were just trying not to be last. But um, it, was, it was amazing to be able to throw with someone like John and train with him because, 
you know, after we would throw, he would get in there and throw and you just watch the discus sail like, wow, that it's not supposed to go that far, you know? Yeah. And, and you'd get mad kind of like, well, how come he can do that? He's older. What's the deal? We should be able to figure this out. It was, and you know, and I went to school with Carol Katie too and Mary Osborne. And I mean, these, these folks were just amazing. And, you know, you, you start to have to raise the bar like, well, that's what they're doing. What are you going to do? You know? So it was competitive, but it was a competitive in that we cheered for each other and we celebrated each other's success. We weren't, I wasn't in any way hoping someone didn't do well, you know, because that's just going to help our points in the school. I have to say it was one of the most amazing experiences I had was at school. It was great. And I'm grateful to Brooks for finding me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And your mom. And your your mother. And (laughs) And my mom. And my mom. Exactly. (laughs) So that freshman year, was there the expectations for you to go out and score in conference? Because I know those two gentlemen probably expected a lot. Did you feel that pressure? I think when we talked about goals, because, you know, Dave would bring in and say, yes. you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think you can do? Well, here's what I think you could do. And I want to say it was either I throw him 46-8. So I think he was thinking I could probably get at least 49, maybe 50. And again, you know, I'm just oh. kind of looking at him like, huh, really? <laughs> just like that, I'm going to throw four more feet. Okay. All right. Let's, let's see how we do this. Uh, okay. Um, and I think I did throw 49 feet. I can't remember all of my stats, but um, yeah, you know, it's sort of like you're watching other people who are better than you do the same sorts of workouts. So you figure, well, it's working for them. I might as well do it. Was it, uh, were you still doing the glide? Did they, did Dave Mm -hmm. not try to tinker tinker with rotational? It was hilarious. Uh, It was just like, get everybody out off the track. We're going to have Pam spin with the shot put. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, for some reason, my sense of direction with the discus, my timing was much better, but you put the ball in my hand and I don't know where it's coming out. You know, if we got lucky, I'd oh, wow. get it to the toe board and out in that direction. But yeah, I, I think he kind of realized, yeah, that's, that's not for you that we'll let the other people do that. We're going to stay gliding. So, <laughs> and, and, but also too, you picked up hammer and weight. How mm-hmm. was that? Oh my God. That was so much fun. There is nothing more fun than the hammer or the weight because you start slow and you build. And at the end, you get to get all of your aggression out at the end. And even when you're throwing shot and discus, you didn't have that same, you know, expulsion of energy. I would, you know, I might, you know, ah, or yell or something. It's not the same. When you throw that hammer or the weight, I mean, you're just letting it all hang out there. And it was so much fun. And anytime you didn't hang it in the cage, that was a good throw. (laughs) That was a good throw. Well, yeah. Did you find a 12 at that time to be, you know, just as competitive? You you had that among your peers at Stanford, but when you talk of UCLA and history and Arizona or, or even Oregon itself. Yeah, very competitive. And it, and it was kind of nice to go and see people you've heard about and read about. Wow. And, and um, you know, I can remember, and this was after I got out of school, that Dave was really good at the psychology of, of throwing. Because, for example... No, I don't know any thrower who likes to throw in the rain. First of all, you know, you usually you can bend your fingers back. It hurts. Discus flies off. You can't get the grip. It's not fun. So I didn't like to practice in the rain. And there were times where we, you know, I would create an excuse or maybe we'd do it tomorrow. He'd give me a break. But then as things started getting more competitive and people like Connie Price appeared and, you know, was throwing really far and tied my throw, you know, I remember one day it was raining and I was like, oh, I don't really feel like throwing. And he kind of walked away. He's like, okay, bet Connie's practicing. And I'm just like, oh, 
Yes, she probably is. So it was really good at that. Just little subtle tweaks, like, you know, out there in the discus. Carol's out there. Why aren't you out there? Yeah. You think she wants it more? What is it? And I'd say, no, I'm just lazy, I guess. I mean, <laughs> So, you know, but also too, there had to be pressure being a student athlete. You know, how are you managing the yeah. academics of Stanford University and the, all those expectations as well? Also dealing with Dave Woman and John Powell. <laughs> yeah, it's a handful, isn't it? I remember um, Stanford's intimidating because you know you're mm -hmm. you're sitting in class with people who didn't get any wrong on the SAT, right? Mm -hmm. And I got I got some stuff wrong on the SAT, so. The thing I had to realize is that as an elite athlete at a college, at a scholarship athlete, you can't have the life that everyone has. So you can't go to class, you know, go to practice and then go hang out or go to a party. You have to go study. And I remember my freshman year, I actually, I had some grades where they weren't good. And, you know, they had all that information. You get called in the office. I'm talking to Brooks. I'm talking to Dave. And I, I believe it was, mm -hmm. I don't know which one who told me, but they said, you know, you, you can't have the same life as your classmates. It's different. There's an ex a different expectation on you. And so I started to understand that all that other stuff I couldn't do, I had to choose. Did I want to have fun and meet people and kind of enjoy the social thing? Or did I want to get better and potentially, you know, win nationals or even go to the Olympics? You can't do both really. And so I remember I would get up, I would go to class, come home, go to lunch, and then I would go to practice. And sometimes practice, you know, when you're done, it's dark. So, and you're exhausted at least, but I remember, you know, and after that I would go to the library. So I disciplined myself to go to the library and study because that way I knew, okay, I got at least three hours in the library, and then I'm gonna go home and go to sleep. That became my life. And you, you, you sort of have to just change the way you look at things. Cause you know, you hear athletes talk about the sacrifices and the things they give up. And I remember, you know, particularly when I started feeling like I really could make an Olympic team, you just have to, you have to eat differently. And, you know, I remember instances when I did go out with friends, uh, I remember we went to Sizzler and, you know, the big salad bar, I was so excited because I love salads. And in the car going there, someone said, you know, are you going to eat a salad? And, you know, they almost said it with disgust. And first of all, I thought, well, why do you care what I'm eating? I mean, I'm the one eating it. Yeah. But then one of the things I realized is that, you know, what I'm shooting for is different from them. And I know I, if I eat, you know, some of the heavier foods or steak, I'm either going to have to work it off or I'm going to be tired later. So I just got used to and accustomed to eating better. But I never realized that when I was in a group and everyone else is eating all kinds of crap, I'm eating healthy. And when you're around someone who's doing that, what does it do? It reminds you that you're not. So that's why I kind of faced some of that, you know, oh, you're going to eat a salad. And I just remember thinking, look, I think I'm grown and I can eat what I want. How about you just focus on you, okay? Yeah, that's right. Very true. At what, so, at what point during your four years at Stanford did you realize, like, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to make the Olympic team? And when you sat down with Dave and y'all talked about those goals, was that some of the stuff that he kind of maybe instilled in you? Because earlier you, he spoke, you talked about speaking greatness into you. Did Dave mm -hmm. kind of speak greatness into you to instill that? Or was it maybe John Powell that gave you those, those words of affirmation? It was everybody. And it was, it was the environment. I mean, I'm training with Carol Cady, you know, yeah. and 
I mean, what else do you need to say? Carol, Carol, like she was sort of like the Kobe Bryant get there early and leave late person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, I've got to work this hard. This is what I've got to do. And you have a choice. You can decide, you know, I'm not going to put in this much time or I'm going to go do something else. But then you're not getting the marks and the advances you need. And when I got there, you know, these folks were already strong. You know, I need to get strong. So I needed to put in that extra time. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Brooks and, and, and uh, Dave will tell you, we had several conversations about me mentally getting ready and preparing myself because you really have to get to the point where you believe it and then you're willing to put the time in. So again, at some point, one of the things I realize, and I say I have this superpower is that I recognize other people's superpowers. And one of the things I rec recognize about coaches is they can spot talent. And you guys are familiar with this. You know, they can see a high school athlete and know, hey, if this person gets with the right coach in the training, they could go as far as they want to. They can see it. And normally when someone tells you something like that, the first time I heard about the Olympics was in high school, like I said, you're busy saying, oh, no, no, that's not me. Why would they say that? And as I've gotten older, I realized that these are sort of like guardian angels on the earth. And they're not talking to everybody. They're talking to you. They've been put here to help you and you need to step up and accept it. Now, sure, you're afraid. And what if I don't make it? And I don't know, but what if you do? Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 I realize now that, you know, all the time, even at work, I'll tell someone, hey, you're really good at this. And you know what? They spend their time telling me, oh, not that great. There are better people and stuff. And I have to convince them. That's true. You're great. Don't argue with me. It's very hard for people to accept that, someone can see the talent and then there's a possibility because it's easier to be afraid and not try because you might fail. So one of the things I do in my, you know, I'm actually a coach at work and I tell people, you know, this is your sweet spot. This is it. I can see it. You let me spend enough time with you. I'll see your superpower easy. It's really easy for me. And don't argue with me when I tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> Just go with it. So. That's right. Just own it. Hey guys, this is Janelle breaking into our conversation with Pam Duke to give a quick shout out to Marcus at Porta Circle. Um, at Porta Circle, they're looking to make throwing more accessible. You can buy one of their Porta Circles and put it down in your garage, out in a field somewhere, get more kids, more reps, some in the ring, some out in the Porta Circle. Um, so contact Marcus at porta-circle.com and he can hook you up with some great Porta Circles to get your kids throwing more. All right, let's jump back into our talk with Pam Dukes. When they first brought, did you see it in yourself being, you know, a young 20-year-old or maybe even a teenager at that time? Did you were like, okay, I can do this? I think my exposure at the national level to the bigger nationals, not just NCAAs, but, you know, the, the outdoor nationals with all the great athletes, I yeah. think once you sort of get in that environment, you start realizing, hey, I could probably do this. I can okay. do it. And you see people and, and, you know, in your brain, you're thinking, well, I think I can beat these people here. And as you get better, you slowly start beating people. You know, the people when you first get there and you get in like eighth or 10th place, then you start moving up and then you get like, you know, sixth place and fifth place and fourth place. So at that point, it's just a question of, are they more talented than me? Are they working harder than me? You know, what's the difference between them and me? probably not a whole lot. So some of them may have more gifts. So, but we don't really know that until we all put it out there on the line. So 
I need to keep trying. If these great people yeah. who are really great as coaches say you can do this, then, you know, I'm not going to sell them short. I'm going to try. Wow. And you accomplished that with that indoor championship in 1987. Do you mm -hmm. remember that day and what mm -hmm. practice was like building up to that day? And, and even some of the people that you beat in that competition. I remember I felt pretty good and I thought, you know, this is sort of my last time to win NCAA. So I really need to do this. Um, and if you look at the evolution, I think I have some of those pictures of me when one of the pictures, when I was actually getting the award, you can see that I'm really muscular. So when I see that picture and then I remember what I look like freshman year, it's kind of funny because, you know, I have the baggy sweats on and, you know, do I really have to work this hard? So I, when I see it, I remember all the work that was put in and I realized that, you know, after, you know, this is my fifth year. So I'm thinking, why not? This is it, Pam. You're either going to win or you're going to get second or third or you're going to get whatever. So I feel like it was my time. Um, I would have loved to have win one before then, but um, yeah, I, you know, it was nice because the throwers then we had sort of built up a, a good relationship and a good rapport. So, you know, even though, you know, someone else may win or you win, there's still that camaraderie going along. And I did I do remember people congratulating me and feeling that sense of accomplishment, like, okay, this is good. I can do this. Let's keep going. So I don't remember as much about me doing well. I remember the team doing well. And I remember, you know, Brooks used to, uh, he had this one speech. He had a couple speeches, but one thing he would say is what got you here will keep you here. So when you qualify for nationals and you throw, you know, 52 feet or whatever it is, if you can repeat that at that point, you should place in the top two or three. You don't have to do this Herculean performance to do well. So just keep with the consistency. So that was one of the things he spoke to us. And then um, he used to say, you know, we are here as a team and we're here to support each other. So if I see you talking to someone, they better have an S on their jersey. So he didn't want us out there saying hello to UCLA and USC yeah. and everybody. He wanted us focus on each other. And, you know, Dave was, you know, also encouraging that, that we're a team. So let's, let's get in here and do what we're supposed to do and let's support each other because not everybody's going to have a great day. So let's make sure that, you know, we're supporting someone else and then they're, they're, they're there to give us the support that we need. That was really important. And I remember that kind of gotcha. family feeling at, at Stanford. It was great. Now, you, you said you were you hit five years. So you were redshirted one of those years? I did. I got hurt one year. And so Stanford had this okay. program called Coterm. And because I was on time to graduate, they, you know, I remember when they told me, like, we're going to bring you back for another year. And I was like, what? Really? And because I was going to get my degree, they have a program where you can go in your major for certain ones for six, for five years and get a bachelor's and master's degree. So I got my master's degree oh, wow. in sociology in one year. And I thought, this is a pretty good deal. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's a really yes. good deal. I'm in. So you win the NCAA title. So, mm -hmm. you know, you move on to the, to the U.S. Olympic trials and all that stuff. What is that, that, I don't know, say you're, you would consider yourself a professional thrower at that time, but you're new, moving to the big leagues. What was that experience like? And was Dave coaching you after college? Yes. Yeah. I stage training at Stanford. It was only till like the very end of my career that I trained elsewhere. And then he actually went to become the head coach at SMU. Yeah. So as you guys know, he sort of wasn't there to coach me anymore. So, and I've forgiven him. So it's fine. We're fine. Um, 
it was interesting because when I graduated, I needed to work because, you know, I needed to pay bills and stuff. So I remember I did like, um, what do they call it? Like a graduate kind of like a sponsorship. I worked in the weight room. And so I would work mm. with different teams. And I remember I got assigned to work with the swim team, the women's swim team. Oh. You know what time the women's swim team practices? Like 5 a.m.? Oh, it was ugly. I had to get to the weight room, open it up, and put all the lights on. And then they were using the Cybex, you know, the, the weight the, with the horn and the bell and everything. And so I had to have all that set up, and I'd walk around and help folks. And then afterwards, I would go home and go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and then I would schedule my training. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, once you're sort of out of the nest egg of, of actual college competing, you know, it, there's a reality of the work and having to support yourself. And, you know, most of the time I worked full time. I was mm. part of the Olympic Job Opportunities Program. So I got to work there. I worked at Home Depot, which was a whole nother story. But um, I'm fortunate that I was able to do that. But other than that, once I got into IT, I worked full time. And, you know, balancing that was hard because, you know, I'm trying to figure out when I could train with my coach. And most jobs are, you know, eight to five. And particularly, you know, in the fall and the winter, at five, it's dark. Can't really throw the discus at five o'clock. I just can't. And so I was working at Oracle and my boss was in charge of five departments. And I remember I talked to him and I said, I need to find a job where I can get out early, like around three, so I can keep training and doing my sport. And so I went to go work in the data center because the people there also reported to him. And that's when I first understood, you know, more about technology. I started doing backups and I started learning more things. And that was my track to IT. And it worked out because I got off at three. So I could go to the track and practice for a couple hours and go home and be up and then go to bed. So, so was the plan then for you at that point, you know, the Pan Am games, making that team, mm -hmm. you know, traveling to Cuba and Germany and doing all that fun stuff. Was that, was that the plan? Was that like the next step? And did you feel you were ready for that? Uh, yeah, I think so. And because I'd been on some smaller trips, oh, because okay. okay. I remember they had the U S versus um, great Britain as an international mm -hmm. meet. So we would always go over there. And that was like the first meet. First, they, they had the Olympic Festival, you know, in the United States. And then they had the US versus Great Britain. And then there was the Pan American Games. And there, there was one, one time there was like an eight nation meet that I got to compete in. And then, you know, other than that, it was the world championships or the Olympics, you know, it was like, that was it. You know, yeah. uh, they had meets, of course, they have meets throughout Europe. Um, but at the time, I really wasn't working with an agent and I was work working full time and I really wasn't able to kind of negotiate that to go compete during that time. But, yeah, the thought was we were going to train to make the Olympic team in 88. So I went to the trials in 88. And okay. I think I was in the top three until the last round and then someone passed me. So I moved into the fourth oh. spot. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You said it. <laughs> wow. Wowsy, wowsy. Yeah. Was it just, what was Dave consoling you after that? What was his arm around you? Yeah. Everybody was consoling me after that. That was, that was tough. But, you know, it was my first time at the trial. So, yeah. and I was so young. So the thought was, oh, yeah, we're going to keep going. You know, we're going to keep trying. And I thought, okay. So, you know, I try to explain to, to folks who aren't, you know, 
aware of how things work in the Olympics, how, you know, you, every, if you get four, every four years, that's it, folks. You know, if, if you don't make it this year, it's not next year you get to redeem yourself. You have to go four long years. And I think only other than the world, I think the World Cup is like that, but there's no other example where you don't just get to come back next year. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you know, uh, I've listened to other athletes and I've talked about it and yeah, you really have to sacrifice. You have to, you know, get enough sleep and eat well and have, you know, your situation set up for your training and you have to have access to a weight room. And there's a lot of things you have to do once you're out of school and plan for to continue. And you know, it's different when you're out in the real world because you have like work, 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 and you have training. And I remember, you know, at one point um, there were some layoffs in, in technology. And so I was worried about it. And so I remember I didn't want anyone to know that I was training for the Olympics, you know, hush, hush. So I would wear clothes because at the time I was kind of ripped. So I'd wear kind of baggy clothes so you couldn't say it. They'd say, hey, do you work out? And I'd say, yeah, I do a little something. You know, I get in there, knock it around do, a little bit. I do aerobics. <laughs> but I'll never forget. And I realized this, that um, I hit it. And my fear was that if people knew that I was training for the Olympics, somehow they think there's this glorious, you know, pomp and circumstance. And there's a bag of money they roll up every month to give to you in your training. And they didn't understand that my job was all I had. This was how I supported myself. And when there came time to make adjustments in the department or layoffs, my fear was they would say, okay, let's look at Pam. You know, she works hard, but she's got that whole Olympic thing. She doesn't need this job. Bye-bye. And yeah. then what am I going to do? Yeah. So I, I hid that. You didn't, uh, no, uh, I didn't have any medals or anything out. You know, I, I didn't even wear the USA sweats and stuff. I would just wear regular stuff because I really didn't want people to know because I didn't want them to think that I was expendable. Let's talk about the pinnacle of your career in 1992, making that Olympic team, you know, all the work you paid off, what you mm-hmm. talked about earlier during your career at Stanford. What was that experience like? What was the Olympic trials like? What was it like going to Barcelona and being a part of that team? Do you know my Olympic trial story? No, I do not. So this, I believe we were in, I want to say New Orleans and my parents were there. So it was a big deal. Okay. And, you know, we we're warming up and I was feeling good. And uh, I think I was in third place again. And on the last throw, I was passed again. So Mm. at that point, I was not on the Olympic team. And so I held it together. I was like, it's okay. This, you know, this is part of life. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And so, you know, once you're done, we say hello to everybody. We go to the drug testing. So I was in drug testing, filling out the paperwork. And Connie Price comes in and sits next to me. And I couldn't look at her because she just won the shot and the discus at the trials. And I couldn't even look at her. I was just like, you know, Connie, you did great. I'm really proud of you. And I'm trying to hold it together because I feel like I'm going to start crying. And I was like, you can't cry in front of all the throwers. No, 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 no. And she says, I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And I'm, you know, I'm just thinking you should just go over there because I can't talk right now. I'm trying to hold it together. And so she said that she, she had talked it over with her husband and they decided at this Olympics, they wanted her to concentrate so she wasn't going to throw the shot. And so I, I'm sort of sitting there like, oh, wow. what? And she said, yeah, I'm not going to throw the shot. So you're going to be on the team. 
And I just remember I just started bawling and I told her, this has got to be the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me. And maybe you're not doing it just for me. You'd already made the decision. But I just said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was just so grateful. And I, the only reason I can come up with for that is that I feel like somehow in my life, I've, I've tried to be a good sport. I've tried to do things well. I tried to help people. And, you know, sometimes karma can come back around and I, I just got really blessed. So, yeah, I was fourth twice at the trials. Isn't that special? So <laughs> never hear me say a bad thing about Miss Connie Price Smith. You knew, 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 knew. Not me. <laughs> and, you know, in Barcelona, you know, I know, I know there was two flights and you, you, you got some good marks in stuff. Do you remember that day? Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I remember competing and it was great, but I mean, these folks are throwing the shots far, you guys. So at the yeah. point, I'm not thinking, yeah, I'm going to medal. So I went there, I did my best, but we competed the first day. And yeah. so I, 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 I did uh, my flight and I didn't make the finals. So after that, it's like, you're on vacation. So I was thinking, oh, okay, wow. what am I going to watch? What am I going to do? You know, I, I was a big into gymnastics. I got to meet the women's gymnastic team. And it's funny because I look like their mother when I'm standing with them. They, I mean, it is just, it is just crazy. Like they are really that small. Look at these kids. They are just, I love tennis. I got to see Zena Garrison and Boris Becker, all these great tennis players that I've been watching. And, you know, you go to the, to, to the training table, kind of like to cafeteria to eat and you see these people and you're trying not to be starstruck, but you're thinking, oh, my God, do you, do you see who's over there? Do you see who's over there? <laughs> so it was and that was the year, the first year of the Dream Team. So Michael Jordan and Magic were there and the Dream Team came through, you know, our the Olympic Village. And I remember I was downstairs just kind of hanging out and I look at the door and it's, you know, it's a glass door to get in. And all of a sudden I see David Robinson standing at the door and I knew who David Robinson was, I was a big basketball fan. And I remember I just looked. And so he waved and he's pointing like the door. Cause I, you know, the door's locked for security. And he's like, open the door. And so I went and I opened the door and he comes walking by and I look up and he goes, how you doing? And it's like, great. And then I look and then Patrick Ewing comes in wow. you know, and I'm just like, Barkley walks by. And I was just like, oh my God. So I left the door, I ran upstairs because I couldn't get in our elevator fast enough. And I ran into our suite and they go, what's going on? And I said, dream team, downstairs, now. And I grabbed my camera and I ran downstairs. <laughs> and so they took pictures with all of us. And I just thought, wow, I was the one who opened the door. That was That's so awesome. exciting. That was great. That's awesome. So when the exactly. Olympics were over, did you know that was the end of your career? Did you continue throwing after that? What was No, I did. I, I trained through and I actually competed in the 96 trials, but I'd stopped throwing the shot. I was kind of, it was a little bit harder on my body to train. So I decided I'm just going to keep doing the discus. And um, I went to Atlanta to the trials and I think I had one of the top two or three best throws. So I was thinking, okay, this is possible. And to this day, I haven't watched the tape because I got in there for the preliminaries and I just didn't throw well at all. I don't know. I, you know how with discus, maybe I led with my arm. I don't really even know. But I remember that was tough because that was on our home soil. And I told myself and I said, well, you didn't make the team, but you're going to come back and you're going to cheer for him. So I actually went back to the and I was sitting in the front row when they walked by and I was just kind of smiling like, man, I should be out there. 
that's all right. I'll cheer for him anyway. And I decided I didn't want my career to end on a bad note. So I went and I competed one more year in 97. And I think I got third in the discus. And I said, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I can stop. After you graduated from Stanford, you, you were trying to pursue both shot mm -hmm. and disc in the Olympics, yeah. not just oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, really? I really liked throwing both because both couldn't be good all the time. So some yeah. days you have a bad day in the shot and discus is great. So you leave feeling good. And some days discus ain't going anywhere, but shot was fabulous. So I always had them to play off each other and, you know, work different parts of my body. They really complemented themselves well for me. Yeah. So I like being doing the two sports. Mm -hmm. So 1997, all right, that was the end of it. And mm -hmm. you decided to retire. So what have you been doing since 1997? Not really, not a lot, just hanging out, you know. <laughs> okay, this Harada method thing very mm. much relates to athletics, like how that works and how you apply it yeah. to your career as a thrower. How you wound up in Dallas, Texas. That's, as well. that's true too. Well, I'll start with the last question. And Dave had already moved here to coach okay. at SMU. And I'd seen him in meets, you know, at nationals. Okay. And, you know, I think maybe at least, I think I moved here in 94. He said, you know, maybe it was in 93. He was like, you should come train with me. And I remember I thought, get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And so I moved to Texas to train with Dave. And I actually slept, you know, on, on, he had some athletes. And I actually was like sleeping in a spare room when I first got there because I didn't know anybody or anything. And eventually oh, wow. I found, you know, some work and I would train when they were training. And he had me helping, you know, some of the throwers coach a little bit and talk to them and stuff. So it was pretty cool. Who's the, some, some of the throwers there? Because, you know, you, we've had uh, Giannis on. We're going to have mm -hmm. Giannis on here. I know we're trying to get other ones on as well. You know, that, who was some of the throwers that were there that you were helping with? I trained with Terry. Okay. And Jason Tonks. And Jason, okay. I'm trying to think of the Alex Tamarit, the discus thrower. Yeah. yeah. Was Joey in there? Joanne was there. I think, yeah, I think I actually did train with her too. I think maybe for a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, Joanne oh, wow. Faye. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know all this. That's cool. Yes, I know all those people. Absolutely. Oh, okay. we had a ball. Okay. We had a ball. Yeah. I just, those guys, some of those discus throwers Dave's trained, I just like, what are these guys eating? They, it's just like, they just yeah. get up and throw 215, 220. Like, it's nothing. <laughs> Like, what are they eating? What is going on? <laughs> I mean, the talent was just amazing. It's just so neat oh, yeah. to watch someone that good. Just like yeah. so smooth in the ring. Did you pick yeah. up a lot of your your coaching philosophy and your, your verbiage and all that stuff that you still use today from Dave? Probably. The, yeah. You know, the greatest lesson Dave taught me, and I, I realize this because I have worked with other coaches, is Dave believes in empowering his athletes and making them self-sufficient and self-reliant. So because, you know, he's coaching high jump, he's over here at the hurdles, he's got, you know, shot, whatever. And he's just all over the place, javelin. He can't be with every athlete. So he tried to groom you to know how to self-correct. So when you're throwing, if you're in a competition and you can't see him, you know, telling you you're not getting your hip around or something, you got to figure it out. And so I think that's the greatest gift he taught me. And that's the same lesson I try to teach people where I am now that, you know, when it all boils down to it, you got to depend on you. I think that the, the being self-sufficient and then the motivational items, like I said, speaking greatness in other people. 
the Harada method, what, in a brief, I know you speak on this all the time, but what could you sum up and how could you relate that? You know, we have lots of athletes, we coach, you know, young kids, I still coach in a middle school and teach in a middle school. Um, how could we put that down where we, we may could, you know, kind of use that with okay. our kids? So the Harada method is a way to actually set a goal and achieve it. And the nice thing about it is it focuses on mind, body, and spirit. So you're not just doing that single focus, like, you know, I want to get this degree or I want a certification, or I want to learn this or something. You're trying to work on all aspects of yourself. And the nice thing about it is what you do is first you sort of rate yourself in certain categories and see where you are. And you can see that you've got some areas that you've kind of fallen in. And then, you know, you have to actually figure out, okay, I'm going to set a three or six month goal. So there's paperwork you fill out, you fill it out, you say what you're going to do. And half of it is figuring out the things you're going to do to achieve the goal. But the other half is, well, how are you going to focus on you? How are you going to focus on self-care, your family? You know, what are you going to do for others? It's not just about you. And so it gives you sort of a holistic way to set a goal. So you're working on the goal, but you're working on all these other things that are important to you in your life. And the magic with the Harada method is that you have a coach. I had done my best work when I had a coach. And, you know, it's, it's so obvious to me that, because, you know, people hire professional coaches and there's all kinds of, you know, there's life coaches, professional coaches. And it didn't occur to me to get a coach until I realized I was not doing as well without one. And the thing I realized, I actually, when I set my goal, when I learned the Harada method at work, you need to find mentors and coaches who support you and will help you. You know, one of the things I find is that sometimes people, they, they don't set their goals high enough. You know, it's just the kind of the next step. You know, I think I'm going to do this. And I was like, why don't we aim high and then have all these other things? And then wherever you hit the ladder, it's going to be higher than that first rung that you set. Yeah. I think about our kids that we work with, that we throw with, you know, we keep mm -hmm. telling them, this is where we see you going. This is what mm -hmm. we see you doing. So I think the other thing is that, you know, it's sort of a partnership. So you're going to do your part, but they have to meet you halfway because you guys aren't in the ring. They're throwing. They are. So how hard are they working? You're going to go home and do, you know, 50 drills. When they come in tomorrow, did you do your 50 drills? Coach, I did 65. Oh, that's great. How'd they go? That's what you want to hear. Not, oh, I was too tired. You know, I was watching, you know, This Is Us or something. There was something else on more. Making TikTok videos. Got to put some time in it got to devote some time so, so where did the idea come up for your podcast and how did you come up with the name showing up with pam and what is that about so the showing up with pam is my interview show so many people have shown up for me and gotten me to where i am and i wanted to have a more formal way of thanking them and so i made a list okay these are the people i'm going to interview and so i you know it was kind of right going before covid and everything was kind of crazy and so i said you know how are you getting along? How are you coping? You know, what are you doing to, to take care of yourself? And, you know, towards the end, I tell them, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you on is because you've done so much to help me. And I want to formally thank you because I would not have been able to achieve what I have without you. And your support means everything to me. And I just want to make sure you know that I recognize it. I see it. And I'm grateful for it. The podcast is called Overcoming. One of the things I realized is, you know, people see you now. They think you had it easy. Oh, you just slid right into there, right? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. There were a lot of bumps. And I just thought of 
topics and I started making a list, overcoming bullying, overcoming rejection, overcoming the loss of a loved one. There's so many things that you have to get past and most people don't know what they are. And so I'm trying to put those things out for people who are struggling or having difficult times where they can just pull that and maybe it hits them at the right time. I know have, have recently lost their mom and I lost my mom, I think eight years ago. And that was a tough time for me. So my overcoming a loss, a love, a loved one, that's when I talk about it. And I say, you know, initially, you know, we saw it coming. My mom had been sick and, and, you know, she was fighting cancer. And at some point by her third round, she just decided, you know, she told us I'm not, I can't do the chemo anymore. And so you, everything starts to move in slow motion and you realize like, okay, this is it. And, you know, you're looking at her, seeing her suffer and you know that that's got to stop. But you're thinking about, wait, I, I need you. You know, I've got my son. He needs to know all the greatness of you, of grandma. We need to, you, you know, this is not what I want to happen. But you realize that this is a part of life. At some point, you have to say goodbye to loved ones and your parents. And there were times when I was okay. And the thing that got me through was my son. Because every time I looked at him, I realized I have a job. Yeah. I have to put in you what got put into me. So here we go. And I talk about grandma, I have pictures of her up so he can remember her and see her because she was, she was probably the most important role model that I had. So I just did the one uh, fear, overcoming failure and rejection. And I talk about the Olympic story a little bit. And so I, I say that, you know, now when I get failure and rejection, it's not as bad because I remember what the, the four year rejection felt like. <laughs> Tell my kids all the time that what the lessons you're learning now in athletics like failure and rejection and all that mm -hmm. stuff and fear helps you in life and you have taken yeah. those lessons that you probably learned from softball back in whenever you got started all the way to your you know uh -huh. olympic trials and carrying them off in life and just sharing that with the rest of the world and if you told yeah. them you threw the shot and discus they probably have no clue what that is do they no they'd be like what is that <laughs> like never mind never mind like, it's not important never mind it was kind of a big deal i kind of went to the olympics you should look it up but, but see then on the opposite you should tell them you threw javelin they might know that. <laughs> Now, you also do public speaking as well. Is that right? Yes, I do. Okay. What, what does um, that entail? Most of that is geared toward my profession. I work with um, mostly technology teams. And this year at my job, I started a year ago, when we went around the room, I looked at them and I said, I'm an Olympic athlete. Never done that before. I never just put it out there. It was always a hidden thing. So now I'm like in your face. Boom. That's it. What you going to do with it? <laughs> What you got now? Uh -huh. That's it. Because I'm no longer yeah, afraid. Also too, and also, too, you could tell me you're in the Stanford Hall, Stanford Hall of Fame, which is fun, that's that's huge. That's almost yeah. that might be right there with a little above the Olympics to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you graduated from Stanford. You know, it's a great place, and if I can encourage him to get there, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. Will you introduce him to throwing? I don't know, you know, kids today, they're not always, you know, geared toward the same thing as their parents. He is more of a technology. So he's, he's been taking coding for four or five years. Oh, wow. You know, he's, he's doing he? Minecraft. He's 11. He'll be 12 next month. Oh, but, wow. you know, he, he's coding. He wants to do games. And I work in technology. So it's like, you keep on. That's a good job. Let's go. Yeah. You know? That's cool. So I would love for him to start running and do track, but I'm not going to be the parent who says, you know, you have to do track because your mama did it. 
of all the things I do when I'm doing like motivational or any kind of speaking or training like that, I feel like I'm connected, like right through the earth. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. I am here where I have arrived. This is it. So yeah, anybody listening, if you guys have any opportunities, feel free to reach out. I'm available. Yeah, the, the one thing I would tell athletes, if I could go back and tell myself one thing, because I remember when we were training for Barcelona, they had the slogan, no pain, no Spain. But literally, when you do have pain, you have to take it seriously. Because I think, again, I had gotten so yeah. comfortable, you know, if my knee hurt, I would wait, or, you know, if my back was kind of, I'd kind of, you know, wait till it kind of popped back or something. And at some point, you have to start taking that stuff seriously. Yeah. This has been fun. So I'm so glad. Great, great stuff. We enjoyed this a lot. Well, thank, thank you, so you very much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you thank so you. much. Be safe. We'll All see right. you down the road. Bye. Okay. Take Good care. Bye bye. Well, again, we'd like to thank uh, Pam Dukes for being on. Uh, just another great story of uh, trials and tribulations as a thrower, but also the catapult a great career and just overall being a great person like she's became. I, I just love the, the, I, the two words I'll take from this is just speaking greatness um, and how her coaches spoke greatness into her to instill greatness into her and she believed it. And I think sometimes too, you know, as coaches, we find reasons to, to, to point negative and be negative and derogatory and you did this wrong, beat them down instead of finding out ways to promote and say, hey, you did this one thing right, let's build on this. And, and I think that the affirmation of speaking greatness is something coaches, teachers, adults probably need to do more of, you know, for our youth. Yeah, it adds to, she talked about, and, and then, you know, empowering your athletes, speaking greatness to them, empowers them. Where, you know, when we work on, you work on that with our athletes, to be able to self-correct. Yeah. Empower them to know you can do this. Yeah, there may be things you do wrong, but you can do this and you know how to fix it. Just empower them with that to fix it. Thanks to Connie Price, too, just, yeah. you know, for for uh, giving the words of encouragement to Pam, you know, for her to be able to go in the 1992 Olympics. Um, you know, it goes to show, too, that inside that ring, your competitor, you know, you want to kick each other's tail, but at the same time, there's some camaraderie and some goodness and people that, you know, can take care of each other when you step out of that ring. And that was kind of evident um, at what Connie did for Pam um, back in the, those days as well. But well-traveled, um, just amazing person. Uh, she's inspiring from her podcast to her show. She's definitely amazing lady. So we thank her again for being on the podcast. Um, we will see y'all down the road. Thank you. Uh, hey guys, it's Janelle again. Let's give a quick shout out to our season three podcast sponsors, Texas Track and Field Coaches Association. Go to ttfca.org and check them out. Fourthrows.com. Remember, go to Fourthrows to get some great implements. Use the um, code TalkingThrows20 to get 20% off. And Porta Circle, making throwing accessible. Go to Porta-Circle.com. And then Ready Up Athletic Development. Ready Up offers some great private lessons for strength and conditioning. Go to ReadyUpAD.com.